Welcome to episode 52 of So Important, the interview podcast. Our last episode was one of our most popular ever, so we are on a roll. And I know that we will continue to be on a roll with our guest today, Mr. Michael Cronenberg. Michael and I are going to talk about an aspect of the Batman mythology that has always fascinated me personally, which is the evolving character of Batman himself as portrayed in comic books, daily comics, feature films, serials, live television, and even highly successful animated series advancing the Batman mythos. Our guest is the perfect person to discuss this topic. Michael Cronenberg is an award-winning artist and graphic designer for the Film Noir Foundation and Tomorrow's Publishing. He is the creator and designer of the boxing magazine Ringside Seat. He has designed magazines, books, and DVD Blu-ray movie releases for publishers worldwide. And he is the co-author and designer of the book, The Batcave Companion, which we will talk about today. And I should note, this is our second time talking. Back in the days when I had a blog, Michael not only honored me with a first-rate discussion of the art of film noir, but he also took on the task of designing the layout for that article. So Michael, with that, let me welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me on, Monty. I appreciate it. And I love talking about Batman. He's been reading comics since I was a little kid, still collect comics. Me too. I'm actually looking at my comic book collection now. I have it all boxed up and thinking about how I can, maybe maybe it's time to sell it. But Michael, I mentioned your book, The Batcave Companion, in the intro, and that seems to be a great place to start our conversation. That book is a fun and fascinating read covering all kinds of topics related to the Cape Crusader. So tell us a little bit about what led you to write that book, some of the great content the reader will find there, and why that book is such a perfect point of departure for our discussion today. That book was a bit of a dream project and a labor of love. It's written by myself and Michael Yuri, who is a editor and a writer for DC Comics in the 80s. The first part is written by Michael, and it covers Batman in the 1960s. The Silver Age of comics. So, you know, silk comic books are broken down into ages Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, Modern Age. And he covered the Silver Age, which also covered the time period of the Batman TV show. So, even though our book is pretty much strictly about the comics, you know, he, he also talks about the television show because he grew up during that time. And that's those were that's what he grew up with. I took on the 1970s because that was the comic that was when I grew up with Batman. And that's when Batman turned and began left that campy era that Batman was known for from the television series and went back to his original roots. Batman uh, started in 1939. He was created primarily by Bill Finger, also by Bob Kane. And uh, in 1939, when he came out, he was very much like the Shadow and other pulp characters of that time. He killed villains. He carried a gun. He was primarily by himself um, for that first year. In fact, he was only by himself during that first year. He was very dark. It was very noir-like, even though it was even before film noir even existed. But it it was a very dark segment in Batman's career. What ended up happening was that after that first year by himself, I'd say he was influenced primarily by, by the shadow. It was a little too dark, and they they wanted to move into a direction where the character could be a little more f- kid-friendly, you know, because um, those were the probably primary readers. So Batman no longer carried a gun. Batman no longer killed people. Batman acquired a sidekick, Robin, and so that kids could relate, you know, young boys could relate to Batman more. 
he's still had his edge for a little while, but I would say by 1942, Batman had pretty much lost that edge. Even his his villains changed. You know, the Joker who who first appeared in 19. 19- 40 was a homicidal killer. If you read those comics from the 40s, his body count is pretty damn high. By 1942, he's not killing anybody anymore. He's just, he's pretty much just like a buffoon. And even characters like Two-Face, who first appeared around 1941, he was a darker character. And even he kind of changes. What happened in the 70s, back to my book, in the 1970s was after the campy 1960s TV show, which kind of dominated the way Batman was perceived, there were certain creators and editors who decided, you know what, we need to leave this. And with the 1970s being more about realism in comics, more about grittiness, uh, they decided, let's bring Batman back to the way he was in 1939. Let's get let's get Robin out of the out of the Batman comics, you know, and send him off. What they ended up doing was sending Robin off to, to college. Dick Grayson went to college. So he leaves. And Batman even leaves, Bruce Wayne even leaves Wayne Manor because the idea was to put him in the middle of Gotham City and the city itself. He lives in a penthouse, Bruce Wayne, so that he's right there involved with what's going on directly with the city instead of being away from, from everything in Wayne Manor and the suburbs. He didn't kill anymore, but he was very dark. He was very mystery and he, mysterious and he was scary. He was a frightening character. I mean, the whole idea of Batman's origin in 1939, you know, was he struck fear in the hearts of criminals. That is something that is now still there. Batman is is scares villains. He's scared and he's only around at night. And and that's what they return to. They return to that core roots of who Batman was back in 1939. And that's what my part of the book is about. Um, how that came to be and the creators, the writers and the artists who did that. And that has taken hold. What they did in the 70s, that is the Batman that we know. I mean, he has gone through different stages since then. Uh, Frank Miller took over and did Batman, you know, Dark Knight Returns in 1986. And then he did Batman Year One a couple of years after. But it's still based on what primarily writer Denny O'Neill and artist Neil Adams did in, the, in 1970 when they changed Batman back to being this darker, more foreboding and frightening character that he was. So when he started in 1939, his goal was to... St- strike fear in the heart of criminals. And he saw the bat come through the window and he said, criminals are a cowardly lot. And he knew that he had a symbol. So that's when he started as as a crime fighter more than anything else. Would that be a fair characterization? Right. The core of it is is that his his parents are murdered in front of him, and that's his vow is to fight crime. You know, the whole thing about the bat coming in is is an is an omen that you know he decided to like take on the the persona of a bat. You know, because it's frightening. And to elaborate more on how things changed from that period in 1987, when Frank Miller did Batman Year One, he actually had more of a back story about how um, Bruce Wayne had fallen into a into the cave at Wayne Manor as a child and he was attacked by bats and that developed this fear of bats that he had so that gave more credence and understanding from a realistic standpoint of that moment when the bat instead of a bat flying necessarily flying into his his, his window there was more of a psychological element to it that's what Frank Miller added to the character and in the Christian Bale movies, they kind of picked up on that theme. Yeah. Yes. In fact, the Christopher Nolan films, the three Christopher Nolan films are heavily based on a lot of Batman from, you know, the way 
the Joker is 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 portrayed was definitely from what Bill Finger did with Batman and the Joker in 1940. The first two stories, which appeared in Batman number one, uh, a lot of that is in is in Chris Nolan's The Dark Knight, and the same thing with the other two films and The Dark Knight. Also, Chris Nolan borrowed heavily from Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams, who I interviewed both for my book, who were the primary architects for bringing Batman back to his roots in 19, starting in 1970. And in fact, they, they received, but both O'Neill and Neil Adams received a very nice hefty check from Warner Brothers because of that. Just for the record, I have all of the Neil Adams Batmans, especially the Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill ones. I still have them and they're still actually quite beautiful works. Their Batman is what got me interested in comics as a kid. I was like seven, eight years old and I saw it. That became for me the definitive Batman. But there have been there there is an argument that also what um and I cover this in the book also in, in the late seventies, mid to late seventies, Steve Englehart, who's a writer for DC, he had been a very successful writer for Marvel Comics also, and Marshall Rogers um and Terry Austin, two young artists who were just coming on the scene at that time created what many people consider in detective comics, the definitive Batman. And to be honest with you, a lot of what Tim Burton and Chris Nolan's Batmans were heavily based on their run of, of detective comics and their Batman story that they did um, in 1977 and 78. You said that Batman was created by Bill Finger along with Bob Kane. And I think the common conventional wisdom is that Bob Kane was the creator of Batman. I know where you're going with this, but do you want to elaborate a little bit on that yeah. theme? How that happened and why people know Bob Kane as the creator. And he was listed primarily as the creator for decades. You know, he was the only creator that was listed was because Bob Kane was a raging megalomaniac. I mean, he was just, he was, he was out for himself. Uh, he really wasn't a very good artist. And everything that you know about Batman from his costume, utility belt, all of the villains, his persona is Bruce Wayne, the Batmobile, the Batcave. All of that was Bill Finger. None of that was Bob Kane. Originally, what happened was Bob Kane was 17 years old. And at the time, DC had a very successful, they were actually known as national periodicals at the time. So in 1938, Schuster and Siegel, Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel, two teenagers from Cleveland, Ohio, created Superman. And it was highly successful. It was, it was, in fact, it was a phenomenon. Um, you know, it's what really made comics, put comic books on the map. And for a long time, it was like, you know, newspapers, uh, you know, newspaper comic strips were the main thing. Um, and Pult, the creation of Superman, put DC on the map. And it was so successful that I can't recall if this is accurate or not. But Bob Kane, I think, had worked for Will Eisner. Will Eisner had a studio of artists. Anyways, he was a young man who was around, and he just happened to be at the right the right place at the right time. And DC asked him to create a character similar to what Siegel and Schuster had done with Superman. Bob Kane came up with the name Batman, but what he came up with and the look he came up with of Batman, totally foreign. People can actually look it up on the internet if they want to and look up the original the original appearance of how Batman looked under just Bob Kane. And what ended up happening was that Bill Finger, who is a uh, a veteran writer in comics, was uh, assigned 
to work with Bob Kane. And he literally came up with everything. I mean, the only thing that Bob Kane came up with was the name Batman. That's it. I'm friends with Jim Steranko, and Jim Steranko is a brilliant artist and writer um, from Marvel and so many other things. And and Jim wrote a, a fantastic book, History of Comics. He did two volumes. And he knew all these guys. He knew Bill Finger. He knew Bob Kane. Basically, what he said to me when we talked about it was that Bob Kane's parents were smart enough to hire him a lawyer. And he was able to cut a deal without Bill Finger's knowledge. He was able to get sole credit from DC. You know, I mean, the big comic book companies could care less about their creators. I mean, they're, they're, everything that's important to them is their properties. Batman, Superman, their properties is what's important. And, you know, they, they cheated Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster out of everything. My understanding is that Siegel and Schuster did not hold on to the rights to Superman. Right. And they sold him off to DC or National for, literally a hundred dollars or something like that. And Bob Kane's genius was that he held on to the rights. And Bob Kane's genius was that he had a lawyer. And so he was able to hold on to the rights, but he gave no credit to Bill Finger. Everything that is Batman is due to Bill Finger. I will be honest with you. I've never been a fan of Bob Kane for all the reasons that you're saying. Yeah. And you're a knowledgeable comic book collector. And I think any knowledgeable comic collector is pretty wise to who Bob Kane was and what- And to who Bill Finger was. He was you know, He was, absolutely. And he didn't just work on Batman. He worked on, you know, Green Lantern and worked on a lot of different characters. And and DC did him wrong in a terrible way. Um, And he died penniless. He was never given any of the credit. Um, and he had problems later in life with delivering on um, on deadlines. But DC didn't help, and DC was more than happy to you know write him off in any way that they possibly could. What's nice is, is that DC has finally given him recognition, and I mean, Batman Comics now, the way it's put now in Batman Comics, it doesn't say Batman created by Bob Kane. It says Batman created by, by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. So, going back to the main narrative for a moment, um, you talked about the early evolution of the character, and I know we don't want to get too much into the TV show, but there was a period before the TV show where it started to really take on a lot of those camp characters. The TV show is kind of based on those comic books at that time. Is that correct? The book that we have, Batcave Companion, Michael's section begins in 1964 with what was known as the new look Batman. This is right before the television show. Julia Schwartz was the editor of Batman comics, both detective and the Batman title from 1964 all the way through probably close to the late seventies also. I mean, and I was also talking about Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers and Terry Austin. He was the editor of their, of their comic too. Batman got some ridiculous stuff. There's some science fiction, crazy science fiction stories um, in the early 1960s, right before the New Look took over. And then the New Look was basically what Julius Schwartz bringing in some different writers like John Broom, Gardner Fox, artist Carmine Infantino. Carmine Infantino would later go on to become the publisher of DC Comics in the 1970s. And it wasn't campy in the 60, in, the, in 1964. It was more detective stories, solving mysteries, and it wasn't dark. Batman didn't have that dark, pulpy kind of uh, atmosphere that the 30s had, that 1939 had. But what unfortunately happened was the television show then appeared, and the television show was going to make a lot more money than comic books did. You know, the television show ended up being a crazy hit. 
and cycled off into all kinds of uh, merchandising and all kinds of stuff. And the comic books ended up taking on a lot of the aura of that camp personality and the stories became kind of campy. And that's the reaction to that was what I wrote about in 1970 when Julia Schwartz, Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams decided, let's get Batman back to the way he was. In the 1970s, it was finally revealed to these publishers, both Marvel and DC, college students and you know more intelligent, older, more mature readers were reading comics. And there was a letter writing campaign from Batman fans who were reading the comic and were sick of the camp. They wanted ba- they wanted serious Batman comics and they wanted it to go back. A lot of them wanted it to go back to 1939 and have the character the way he was back then. And when the show got canceled, even though it was perpetually and is perpetually in in reruns, people were tired of it. Comic book, real comic book readers were tired of it. They didn't want that. So they wanted a change. Well, also, you know, I know we don't want to talk about the show too much. No, I'll talk about why I don't like the show. I know it's very popular yeah. and, and it's kitschy now. But back when I was young, Batman was only known pow zoom camp and that was that was the prevailing that was a prevailing thought behind batman and adam west was way bat thought people thought of batman nowadays it's like because we've had all of that we've had since then you know you've had tim burton's run at run of batman which was very dark and you've had chris nolan and you've had all the comic books that have come and frank miller changing everything also now people look back in nostalgia at, at the at the way it was, but back then in the in the early 1970s, for serious comic book readers, Batman wasn't taken seriously at all. In fact, comic books in general weren't taken seriously at all. I mean, people kept thinking about that campy television show, and that was the prevailing thought of how people viewed comic books. It was camp. It was silly. It was stupid. That's that's my resentment for the television show. I mean, now it's, you know, it does it's meaningless now, but back then it wasn't. So Julius Schwartz, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, they moved it away from that and they created a new template. So I'd be interested to hear how he's portrayed now. I think it's it's kind of nuanced, but I'd say that what Frank Miller did with The Dark Knight Returns in 1986 changed things in the sense that he was accepted as this dark, scary, avenging hero. The press coverage, Rolling Stone magazine covered The Dark Knight Returns and interviewed him, Esquire. It was finally mainstream publishing stopped what I was talking about before, which was like how Batman was perceived as this campy, silly, goofy figure. and mainstream publishing paid attention to what Frank Miller did. And I think since then, things have changed. So, But overall, the the way the character is portrayed, I'd say he's even darker than he was when when O'Neill and Adams were doing it. I'd say he's even darker now. How much do you think that's due to the movie influence? Heavily. I think, and I think you can go back to Tim Burton um, that first bat, the, his first Batman movie. Um, yeah, that, the, the that, and, and the other thing, and I and I can't not give credit to Miller because Miller because Miller's influence was was key, and that changed Batman. Batman came, became really dark, and he became very dark after. 86 and this is when Denny O'Neill was no he was no longer writing Batman he was the editor of Batman and he got really dark under under Denny O'Neill I'd say he got he, he's become a darker character they've lightened him up a little bit at DC now I have a good friend uh who's wrote Batman for about 5 years Tom King he's one of the best and most popular writers in comic books today and he did a wonderful run on Batman which balanced 
Batman out more and fleshed out the Bruce Wayne character. So he was still dark and he still had that that template, as you say, of like the way he was in 1939. But it wasn't depressing, <laughs> you know. Well, it sounds like the Miller books, which which are phenomenal, set the template. Burton was kind of basing his work on that to a large degree. Bale and was kind of a continuation of that. And uh, I guess now we have a new Batman. Which is pretty dark from what I understand. And it's from what I've heard, it's pretty dark. And, and it's a detective story also, which I'm very happy about. From what I understand, it's very, it's very film noir influenced and it is heavily relies on Batman's detective skills. And, you know, he is known in the 1970s, as, as I wrote about in his Bronze Age revival in my book, the world's greatest detective. That's what he's constantly called, the world's greatest detective. And I'm glad to know that he, he's portrayed that way in the movies because really, and I love Nolan's trilogy and, and, I, and I really like Tim Burton's first two films. He's not so much a detective. The other thing I like is that he's called the Batman also in this in this new one because when I was reading and if you you also are a, a fan of those Denny O'Neill Batman comics he's, he was known as the Batman that that was the other thing because in 1939 he was called the Batman it was like he was a creature the Batman and in the 70s when O'Neill and and Adams took over that's what he was he was the Batman I know you're going to be seeing the movie soon right maybe yeah. we'll get your we'll get your take on that after yeah, sometime I, in the in the future yeah, I'll definitely post what I think of it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I am too. Let me just say thank you. This was a fun talk, and uh, it'll be fun to uh, publish it and get it out there, and people can hear you talk about the Batman. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Okay. Okay.